Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. and howdy especially howdy today is coming to you live on delay from deep in the heart of texas the other lone star state and we are grateful today to have with us one of our favorite guests one of your most requested guests doc bach is back in the house doc bach eugene bach uh the troublemaker in chief so-called for back to jerusalem the movement that is bringing the gospel through the 1040 window back to jerusalem as it goes around the world as we prepare for the return of the lord eugene somewhere in the north thanks for being with us again today brother it's always a pleasure love being with you um and <laughs> there you are uh, your your audience must be smoking something to be requesting me but i'm uh <laughs> i'm super excited to be back with you so yeah thanks for the opportunity it's great to chat i love our conversations i think that we kind of touch on issues that are front and center in uh, today's christian world i think that's true and you know the relationship as you know because of our work together because of the the promise in Ephesians chapter 2 that there would be a time when the wall would be taken down between Jew and Gentile, male and female, there would be, we would be one in Messiah. We're seeing that the, the relationship between the gospel going around the world and the fact that the Jews are back in the land and that we are, even today I read an article from a newspaper out of, out of Israel that said that there's a resurgence among secular Jews about the Bible. Why? Like they don't get Jesus yet. They will. It's like, as my friend David Rubin from up in, in Shiloh said, uh, Miles, if you're right, I'll be like this. And he put his hands up uh, and the Christian phrase, and if I'm right, you'll be like this. And he, he did that on television from the mountains of Judea. So, and he's an Orthodox Jew. He's not a, not a Jesus guy. But we, we have this dialogue going on now because, A, someone like Netanyahu can say we Christians are our best friends, I would say our only friends and now there's uh, some stirring going on to try to, to slow down and stop the influence of Christians, not just Messianic Jews. We're like the Jack Mormons of Judaism. You know, we're just outsiders, but the, we're actually the inside track, but they don't know that. <laughs> but the, the, there's a, an assault now against even uh, uh, quality organizations like the International Christian Embassy of Jerusalem being able to renew visas for their workers to come back because of that ultra ultra orthodox contingent that netanyahu has in his coalition and you deal with this all the time because you're in the most difficult places you're sending people into the most difficult places uh and uh i just wouldn't expect it from something as quote unquote as civilized as israel but there you are there's jewish pushback against christians being there they don't recognize the blessing that is in this mutuality but i we 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 see that it's so important because, for example, uh, the Abraham Accords, which you asked about, which we, we were kind of tracking together over these last couple of years, uh, Saudi Arabia is, is at a standstill because of what I call Obama 3.0, the Biden administration, which is again cozying up to Iran, which is a threat to all, all of 
the Sunni Muslims in the world. So tell me on the ground as you're in the in these countries, in the Muslim countries, do you uh, do you see the do you see the difference between Sunni and Shia, or do you see the difference between jihadis and regular garden variety Muslims? What what are you seeing these days? Yeah, uh, you know when it comes, and this is, I mean, I had reached out to you because I have seen this. I've seen. Um, this new pact that's being tried to force through uh, between Israel and Saudi Arabia. You were the guy on the inside that I wanted to know what your thoughts were on it. When it comes to the working in uh, Sunni areas or Shia areas, there are a lot of differences when it comes to evangelism, but practically um, we're, we're dealing with the same hatred. Um, I mean, the same spirit of being against Christ and the completion of the Great Commission is the same. And I mean, I can say that about communism and atheism. Um, we, we see the, the, the reasons behind it being different. We see the way that we evangelize in those areas being different. But the results are the same. Um, the, uh, the attacks are the same. Uh, the, the way that you have the manifestation of hatred towards Christians um, is the same. And it doesn't matter whether, whether it's uh, Sunnis in Yemen or Saudi Arabia uh, or Iraq, or it doesn't matter whether it's Shias in Iran. Uh, it is that same spirit just manifesting itself in, in different ways. Um, it's something that we've seen not just in Muslim areas, not just in communist areas with atheism, but also in Buddhist areas, which a lot of people feel, you know, these are very open, wonderful, nice, loving, kumbaya um, areas, and they're, they're simply not. Um, I, had a, I had about a two-hour yelling match um, podcast uh, last month where I brought on a, a guy who had, was a little bit disingenuous. He said that he was, he was um, a Tibetan Buddhist. Uh, it turns out after I was doing the interview with him, he clearly was not, had never been to Tibet or anywhere near Tibet in his entire life and never left Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he was an American that converted to Buddhism that didn't know jack squat about Buddhism. He knew what he was being sold um, by the Dalai Lama, probably one of the best salesmen in the world. Point is that it doesn't even matter if it's Hinduism or, uh, you know, what's thought of as being peaceful, loving Buddhism. Um, the same reaction towards Christians, the same spirit of, of uh, evil and violence towards Christians manifests itself. And in fact, in some ways, I would say that, um, as a side note, Buddhism is, is in some ways more violent than Islam when it comes to Christians. Yeah, well, I remember way, way back when I first became a believer, I used to travel with our first pastor who did gigantic meetings in Africa and Russia and India. And I was, I was an assistant, I was a helper. And we were up in the north of India where the, the ethic was Hindu, you know, India for Hindus only. And the RSS, their violent wing of the BJP party, actually came and threw, threw stones at us. We had to wow. leave the grounds. You know, it was wow. that kind of a thing. There's a whole sp dramatic story about that where I made my peace with God because I thought we were going to be martyred that day. Now, my friend that I traveled with from uh, Colorado was a cowboy named Troy. He said, Miles, you don't have to worry. We never have to worry when you're with us because you don't have the character to be martyred. <laughs> 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 it's supposed to be a safety for us. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah. but I've experienced
experienced that with the religions that I consider to be, as a New Yorker in California, and considered to be the peace, love, and tie-dye religions actually had this incredibly violent side to them. You know, and so that, that kind of brings us to this possibility of Saudi Arabia, one of the darkest places in some ways, and the, one of the most modern in other places. They're actually make, cozying, make, making overtures to Israel and Israel to Saudi Arabia, which is part of the, it's the continuation of what Donald Trump helped to do. And I'm always suspicious about American intervention in the Middle East, because if you just leave Israel and the Arabs alone, they'll probably figure something out, but that never happens. The UN and America are always in the way of that. But there has been this movement forward to some kind of normalization. Of course, a lot of that is the threat of Iran, because the Saudis know that Iran is on the on the move throughout the Middle East. They've got they've got Lebanon, they've got uh, Syria. There, there's so much pressure against the neighboring countries, including Saudi Arabia, which I think would like to be a 21st century country. But it's a mixed bag, right? There's a dark underside, of course, to the whole thing. And I think it's it's kind of on hold now because of the, our administration's interventions, which are just always bass backwards, pardon my French, but it's always, you know, amazing. I mean, even, even President Obama himself said, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to mess things up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm making that a G-rated statement. He as I can interview, of course. But he's, you know, but that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that uh, uh, left to their own, that, that people in the area would like to be 21st century and would like to have what Israel has. I just, Friday night at our service, I played this amazing little clip from Jordan Peterson, who has this very public, uh, I'm enjoying, because he's so smart, I'm enjoying this, and he's a psychologist, which is my field, uh, I'm enjoying his very public, getting close to being born again without ever actually doing it, but really, you know, leaning into Christianity and the meaning of it, the importance of it. And he had this beautiful clip that, that about his understanding of Israel as kind of a flawed but near-perfect nation-state in terms of taking a, a desert, rocky place where um, one writer said a, million, a long time ago said uh, uh, God took a, a land that could not be farmed and put a people in it that didn't know how to farm <laughs> and created something that has you know, totally changed the world in terms of here's how it can be done, you know. Uh, and so we have this incredible engine of modernity and uh, beauty in Israel. And the surrounding nations see that they want it. In fact, the Israelis have helped the, the Jordanians with farming. They've helped the surrounding nations in a myriad of ways, including, as you know, sneaking over the border to provide medical help during the wars in Syria. Yeah. So Saudi Arabia is, is open, but there's a hindrance now because, because of, I believe, because of America's uh, closeness again to Iran and what that means for them. So you see that. It's a little bit Sunni Shia, but it's more about Iran and the threat of Iran. So, so do you, do you think that there's there's hope? It looks like there's this renewed effort. I mean, I'm not so sure. Uh, I mean, one of the things that was great about the previous administration is that, you know, for me to fly from Dubai to Tel Aviv was impossible before. I always had to go through some really inconvenient route in order to fly to Tel Aviv if I was coming from Asia. America had several, you know, direct flights. There were some direct flights coming in from Europe. But if you're already in the Middle East or you're already in Asia, getting into Tel Aviv was very difficult, usually through Oman. Um, flying through Dubai, which is kind of a hub that I use quite a bit, or guitar, forget about it. I mean, you can't fly over 
um, Saudi airspace, and that changed. Um, but now it, I I don't know. I'm I, I was seeing that there was this new kind of push with an accord or some sort of treaty between Saudi and Israel. What what do you make of that? What what what's the situation there? Well, I think ultimately, I have to always go back to the Bible. Ultimately, the scripture does say in Zechariah 12, and then again in 14, it does talk about every nation in the world will come against Jerusalem. So is that two years, 10 years, 200 years? I don't know. But there will be a time when all nations... So when, when we see... Uh, it's like my grandmother used to say, when something would happen in the world, she'd say to me, so is this good for the Jews or bad for the Jews? <laughs> because ultimately, that question is about... She didn't know this, I don't think, but... Ultimately, this is, is this good for God's purposes or bad for God's purposes? Because the Jewish people are kind of the canary in the coal mine about God's purposes and the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, we're kind of like the focus. Uh, he's never taken his focus off of us. But in his mercy, he opened the gospel to the entire world. Now we're back, right? So I think that temporarily, at least, it's a wonderful thing to, to think that that. Uh, this outsider like Donald Trump could come in and, you know, just the art of the deal or I don't know, brashness or God's timing or the Cyrus anointing, however you want to see it. But he could come in and basically, hey, you guys work this out. You want money, you want finance, you want future, you want modernity, work it out. You can help each other do this. And suddenly, like you're saying, your life changed as someone who's committed to the gospel going around the world and in the most difficult places, suddenly your life was improve because you could fly direct. Now, that's one small example of what could happen with the Saudis if Israel and the Saudis can, can work this out. But as I said, right now, it's on hold. And it's on hold because both of, everybody's pulling back because they're watching this, this kowtowing to, to uh, Iran. And we're basically back to where we were on a certain level. There's been the progress. There's been movement among all the nations. But we're, basically, it's on hold right now. As everyone's watching to see, you know, what, what's going to happen. Are we going to continue to support Iran's nuclear armament, which is kind of what we're doing now? Mm. Mm. That's good. It's good to know. Uh, I mean, I've been watching it. One of the things that I have seen from our side is that, you know, Iran... I know that this might sound like a challenge to many people. I know that they have proxies uh, throughout the Middle East that they use for uh, warfare, whether it's in Syria, whether it's in Lebanon, whether it's in Yemen. Um, Iran is a nation of proxy warfare where they are supporting many different terrorist groups. Um, but really, they are the, the, uh, the primary idea or, or example of a paper tiger. Uh, they don't have a lot of teeth. I know that they they're, they they can threaten a lot of things, um, but what makes them strong, at least in my opinion, is uh, the support that they get from China. Uh, China is a much bigger player on the field. Um, I think that we're seeing that even with Russia. I think a lot of emphasis was put on Russia. I mean, Ukraine is not a very big nation. They're not a very powerful nation. Um, for Ukraine to push back Russia in the way that they did took everybody by surprise, including myself. Um, I, we're not going to see that with China. China is a much bigger threat than I think most people realize. The U.S. military knows it very well. It's the biggest threat that we're facing today on the world stage. It's not really talked about enough, um, but they are backing a lot of 
uh, really bad actors on the world stage, especially in the Middle East. So whether it's Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, I mean, we're seeing that Saudi Arabia and China are making some big moves together. Uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is uh, start to do a lot of the trade of buying and selling oil barrels for China using a currency other than the U.S. dollar. That is a huge threat to the United to to not just the United States but the world economy uh, because that will very quickly rush in the collapse of the U.S. dollar, which is so inflated and it's a, it's you're allowed to be inflated because it is the only currency in the world that is kept afloat because it's a world trade currency. The U.S. is screwing that up there, in my opinion. Uh, one of the ways that they're screwing that up is they are putting in a lot of draconian rules for international transfers. Um, our organization, when we deal with missions, for instance, on the field, we've always, like every other organization in the world, we've always dealt in U.S. dollars. Um, that's the easiest currency to deal in when doing international transfers. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether we're doing the transfer from Hong Kong to Zurich, from Zurich to China, from uh, Turkey to Brussels. Um, we're using the U.S. dollar. Um, not anymore. Um, and the reason why is because the U.S. government has really put their fingers into everything and sending money from, let's say, Zurich to Hong Kong, for instance, has been an absolute nightmare because it, when it's in U.S. currency, it's being stopped in New York. Everybody else is experiencing that as well. So when you add to that the fuel of um, countries like China, uh, China that wants to get away from the U.S. dollar, especially Russia, who has so many sanctions against them at the moment, they're looking for some other alternative currency. Um, there is a big, big push to move away from the U.S. dollar, and Saudi Arabia is playing a big part in that, and so is Iran. So Iran is being very much propped up by China. Um, they are one of the few allies of Iran, and I think Iran by itself can be a threat that could be isolated and... Um, uh, and muted in many ways. But when you add the element of China, um, then you you have an issue. And it's not just China's support of Iran. That, that would be one aspect of it. But China's own support within America, like China's getting a lot of support in America. One of the things that I wrote to you about and something that American listeners and Christian listeners, whether you're Singapore, Taiwan, uh, Europe, whatever, you need to know that China is supporting the education of your children. And children is a big, big focus. There was just a report that was uncovered this month about K-12 schools, big schools, very um, uh, advanced in a lot, of their, um, uh, a lot of their testing scores for advanced children um, are being um, not just supported by China, but identified as uh, what they are uh, considering to be red classrooms. Um, this, is, this is a big um, danger that Christians need to be aware of because it is a direct assault on children. And I believe that what we are seeing with the LGBTQ, with the, a lot of the socialist reforming coming from inside the schools, is a direct result of financial um, support and influence coming in from China to the U.S. and other countries as well. Um, yeah. This is a this is a multi-front assault that Christians need to be aware of because it's not just financial investments. In my opinion, it is a it is a part of spiritual warfare that's targeting children. Absolutely, and I I, I think we need to hear more about that because 
you know, as a just garden variety American citizen patriot, you know, I love my country. I watched my grandparents wash the stoop, watch the streets in front of their tenement apartment in lower Manhattan because they were so grateful to be in America. And now the opposite is true, where people are coming here expecting to be totally taken care of, creating this gargantuan welfare state that will support, God help us, uh, the left in, in America. But, you know, we used to think of it, you know, I'm a child of the 50s. I used to think of it in terms of the KGB and, and Russia being behind everything. But the big player behind this whole scene is China. At the same time, Eugene, we're hearing that China's in trouble. China has a zero population growth. China has a false economy and all these things. So how do we how do we put together the idea that, on the one hand, China is, and I knew that seats were being bought in the universities for for Islam, for communism, for, for decades and decades, watching that watching that filter down to the high schools, and then people of my generation, God help us, the the boomers became the professors that are pitching this nonsense. And I I laughingly tell my wife she hates this joke. But I say, hey, thank God for my mental illness, suicidality, <laughs> drug addiction, and alcoholism that led me to salvation. Or I might be a college professor, which would be horrible. Because the the milieu, because of the the penchant for this kind of indoctrination, that is just it's rampant. And now, I mean, my my our congregations in California, we had to go to Sacramento yesterday to talk of, to to protest these laws that Newsom is trying to pass, that some of our senators are trying to pass in the state in order to strip parental rights and give our children to the government, which is now backed by, as you're telling us, backed by darkness, backed by this red influence these are red classrooms and it's, it's happening right now and people are you know in a way that's one of the gifts of covid is that it causes so many middle of the road people to say wait a minute what's going on here but those, those of us have been standing on the platform waving our arms for a decade saying this is not good keep your eyes open this is biblical we're in the biblical prophecy we're in it now so uh what do you see about the the is china in trouble and if so is that why the push is on yeah, I, I do think that China is in trouble. I think that there are some things about China's economy that is being propped up artificially, but nothing is better for economy than war. And so one of the things that we're seeing is a very aggressive China. I mean, just yesterday we saw more uh, patrols heading out towards Taiwan. This is a real um, anxi point of anxiety for many people around the world watching uh, what's going to happen to Taiwan? And God bless the Taiwanese. They're they're an amazing people. Um, they're they're just they have no chance standing against China, but they're they plan to fight for for their freedom. And so one of the things that um, that I that really caught my attention is there there's a group um, that is called Parents Defending Education. And basically, they were seeing the same thing as, as you were talking about there in California. And they did a research, and they ended up coming out with a report that people can find. It's on their website. It's called DefendingEd.org. And one of the things that they found is almost $20 million uh, in, in a short amount of time being used uh, by China in pumping it into K through 12 schools. So you already know, I already know that universities have been a breeding ground for many different interest groups, including Muslim nations, communist nations for many years. Their impact has been undeniable. 
I mean, today we are seeing a lot of the products that are coming out of those universities and the attacks that they're launching, especially in the government and private sector. It's completely transforming the societies that we live in. Um, now China has really started to go for younger children. And this report, that's it's called the National Association of Scholars Report, they were able to look into these um, these programs that were called the Confucius Institutes. So China basically sold themselves to the U.S. and said, hey, listen, we want to start a Confucius Institute um, network. And, and, and it was sold really well. I mean, I could see myself being buying into it right away. Are you still there, Miles? I am. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I, I lost your picture, I so I didn't know if I lost your voice or not. So I could see myself being bought into this because basically the thing that they were doing is they, you know, they were telling schools in America, listen, we will pay for these Confucius classrooms. Why were they called Confucius classrooms? They were called Confucius classrooms, frankly, because Mao classrooms doesn't sound like a good idea. Nobody wants to do Mao Zedong classrooms. Nobody wants to do Stalin classrooms. Confucius, by the way, the communists hate Confucius. Um, but... If they can move in on borrowed boats, a theory that I told you about earlier, people can go back to your archives and listen to that uh, borrowed boats theory that is implemented by the PLA, the People's Liberation Army. But uh, by using this terminology, uh, which is a big thing, you see that in your the warfare that you're doing there in California and other parts of the world, uh, terminology really does matter. Um, if, if you can take really evil concepts and transform them into sounding something a lot smaller or a lot less um, uh, dangerous or something that even requires you to be compassionate, then they are winning that war of definitions. And uh, so by bringing in these Confucius classrooms, they were able to sell Americans on this idea of teaching children uh, the Chinese language, Chinese culture, uh, which all sounds very innocent. But incorporated in that was a focus on communism and the rise of communism. It wasn't given a communist name tag, but it was many elements and characteristics of communism that I'm very familiar with. And here's why. For the last 20 some odd years, I've been building schools in Western China. Uh, I've built over 100 um, primary classrooms, primary school classrooms. This is uh, K through 6th grade. Um, Tibet, Xinjiang, Yunnan, Guangxi provinces. These are Western provinces in China that have been dirt poor, um, where the Chinese Communist government did not have money to build classrooms. And so a lot of these children are left out of the Chinese economy because they don't speak the Chinese language. People in Western China speak different languages. Um, they don't have access to education. They don't have access to roads, um, schools. So we would go in as back to Jerusalem and we would build schools and we'd work together. So I've worked directly with the communist government building schools. The main thing that I had to build on every single one of these classrooms was what was called, or school buildings, was what was called a moral classroom. You have to build. That is an obligation. So even though we're doing them a favor by building a school, we had to incorporate into our plans every single school, what was called a moral classroom. And the moral classroom is an education that is set aside from all other studies that specifically focuses on teaching atheism. 
And it starts from the age of three. It's mandatory for all children. Even before their formal education starts, they have to start the moral classroom. And so you see these children, they come to school and they get these red scarfs that wrap around their neck and they're considered to be pioneers of the Communist Party. This is what has been supported in these classrooms, what has been nicknamed red classrooms in the U.S. Now, this is not to get people scared. This is not to get people all riled up and and hate China. This is just for Christians to know that a lot of these schools, and there's a list. You can actually go on to the main website that they have this report. You can either go to backtojerusalem.com where we have um, a report that's done on this, or you can go to Defending Ed, like education, so defendined.org. There they have a report that is plastered on the homepage of their website. You go into the details of that report, and it will give you specific schools throughout the United States. And, And we're not talking about New York and California here. We're talking about Oklahoma. Kentucky. We're talking about the heart of the South. They're going right where you're at, Highland Park Independent School District in Texas. So where you're calling at right now, Texas, these strongholds that have been, um, you know, known as being more conservative, more religious, uh, more of the Bible Belt, if you will, um, are the target zone for the Chinese Communist Party. They're going into the enemy's territory. They are moving in slyly and targeting the children of Christians to teach them communism. Now, if you don't think that has an impact, it absolutely does. Because what it does is it exposes children to atheism at a very young age, especially as we remove religion already from most of the public uh, places in uh, schools and bring in atheism, which is a religion because it, it builds on the whole idea of evolution. Um, and if you ever study evolution, um, basically it goes against the second law of thermodynamics, the idea that if you take human life, it goes back to an amphibian. The amphibian goes back to a simple cell. Any biologist will tell you there's no such thing as a simple cell. Every cell is pretty complicated. Uh, But even that simple cell, how did it first get life? You go back to the protein. At some point, you come to a place where something that had no life is given life. And you create this entire religion. This is something that China has been very wise about. Um, This is also why missionaries have been kicked out. This is why school teachers have been kicked out. This is why businesses have been kicked out of China. China in 2019 took a very hard rail. Why? Because they know what they're doing in America and they don't want missionaries to do the same in China. They want to evangelize atheism in Christian countries, but they don't want Christianity to be evangelized in their nation. So they're taking very strong steps to stop it and doing, putting a lot of investments into pushing their agenda in other nations. And I think it's good for Christians to be aware of, uh, for the simple fact of this is our children they're coming after. And so our children need to be prayed over. They need to be anointed, and they need to be aware of the attacks that the enemy is waging against them. That's my opinion anyway. Well, that, that's a huge bite. I want to get into what you just said because I need, we need more of that. We need to hear some more about that. First of all, I, I have to ask, how could you live with doing this great work of building schools for the unschooled in these western parts of China and yet also be mandated to include this atheistic thing? How did you deal with that as a pastor, as a believer, as a Christian? 
Every place where we worked, we were able to bring in Christians. And it was very, very simple. Prior to us going into those villages, there was nothing. There was no sign, no no ministering of the gospel at all. So we were moving into 100% unreached areas. The communist government had not even gotten into those areas. So there are certain areas, for instance, in Sichuan province, where uh, we were working with people groups that were completely 100% unreached. And these people groups um, didn't even speak the Mandarin language. So the communists had not even come in. So these children, from the time they were born, they were already enslaved to Islam. And so they were not able at all to get the gospel. We were able to move in with these humanitarian projects and bring missionaries. And so it became a platform for the missionaries. Here's the thing. This is my opinion. Not everybody will agree. I don't believe that the gospel needs to be protected. I believe that if we are able to openly present the good news of Jesus Christ, all lies be damned because the truth will always break out. Um, I don't have a specific desire to shut down the teachings of atheism, to shut down the teachings of Islam, to shut. I know a lot of Christians will disagree. I don't. I believe that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And this is the essence of freedom of speech. And with that, I believe that the truth will always defeat a lie. Always. That the lie will never defeat the truth. The the, the enemy of a lie is the truth. That's why the enemy hates it so much. That's why there's violence against the gospel in China. Violence against the gospel in North Korea. Violence against the gospel in Iraq and Iran and, and India and Tibet. You have many different religions many different uh, laws, but they're all violent against the free preaching of the gospel. Why? Because the truth will set men free. I truly believe that. The enemy of a lie is truth. The enemy of truth is not a lie, in my opinion. The enemy of truth is silence. That is a big difference. So I'm okay with the enemy having free say. Why? Because I think that seek and you shall find. And sometimes seeking means that we have to, you have probably come to this conclusion. How many things have I believed in the past that weren't true? And I didn't realize it until later. Um, I think that everything that we believe needs to be tried and tested. And that means being exposed to things that we don't agree with. Um, I think that's the essence of the gospel, in my opinion. So when we build these moral classrooms, that doesn't scare me. That doesn't scare the missionaries. What does scare the enemy, though, is the preaching of the gospel beside these moral classrooms. That shakes the the earth. This is brilliant, man. Uh, I have to to note it. Is that your line? Because I'm going to steal it. The enemy of truth is not a lie. The enemy of truth is silence. I've never heard it anywhere else. Yeah. Okay, well, it's live here today. (laughs) I'm going to use that as probably the, the tagline of this podcast because that's what we're seeing is like, it seems so slow, but there's, there seems to be an uprising of truth seekers and truth tellers. It's it's small, but it's happening. You know, I'm seeing it in, in my country. I'm seeing it here. I'm seeing it in Israel, even as people are, are, are questioning a lot of the things about the government, the way it's run, about the, the, the efficacy of, of, the, of Christians being in the country. That it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's okay. Plurality. You know, now, as a Jew, it's been persecuted in every land in the world. 
Uh, I believe in plurality, and that's kind of backing up what you're saying. Is that I don't want a Christian nation per se because I don't trust religious leaders. Yes. So, but I do yes. want the ability for plurality to have yep. its way so that people can choose. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that that is the essence of the gospel. How do we know that? Because nations, including Israel, that are built on the foundations of Christian Judaic teachings are the most open for learning and debate. I mean, we allow Muslims and, and Hindus and, and atheists to attack us openly. I don't think that we need to be afraid. Um, and I think even Christianity can can get into a place where it becomes over-religious and protective. And when you see Christianity starting to be protective, I would say watch out because you might be looking at some very bad teachings that need protection. I think that uh, it is bad teachings that need protection. That's why I think the gospel is that proponent of the, the, the freedom of speech. Uh, the Bible tells us very clearly, I believe, that how will they know unless they've been told? And how will they, how will they hear unless someone's been sent? Um, that is the idea that someone is going to go and proclaim the good news. I don't think it's by accident that we see that the world was created when God spoke it into existence. There's something powerful about the words, that truth. Um, John does this so beautifully. He, he poetically embodies the idea of the word, this idea of logos. Logos being not just the word as we translate it, but it's also the base of the word logic. Like it is a logical discussion between two individuals or more in order to arrive at the truth. This idea that the spoken word is God, that it, it creates and when we allow that spoken word to go out, it, it transforms. And when the enemy gets scared, how does the enemy stop the gospel from going around the world? How does he stop the Great Commission? I believe he stops it by stopping freedom of speech. And I know this in one way. One way, and that is every single area, and it doesn't matter whether it's China, North Korea, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, wherever the enemy takes power, the very first step that he always does is stop freedom of speech. This is one of the most important weapons that the enemy has to deploy. And it's always done, I believe, as a safety measure. It's never brought in as, oh, we want to stop what you have to say because what you have to say is so important. It's never that. It's like, we need to protect you from these evil words. So in our compassion, we're going to surround you with a, with a bubble of protection so that you will not be harmed by these words. That's the first step of the enemy, I believe, to rip us of the heritage of God's word. This is fantastic because, you know, it, it's, I'm just I'm thinking as you're speaking about the, the logos and logic and the outcome of that freedom of speech used to be civil discourse where we can disagree everybody gets to have an opinion that's why the jews could vote to let the nazis walk in in chicago area in skokie illinois back in the day because freedom of speech hey let them have their say we know the truth will out that's just what you're saying but we've we've been so succumbing to i'm talking about america right now succumbing to this ability to be shouted down that now it's it's the standard operation i'm thinking about what happened at stanford a few months ago where this judge came in a conservative judge came in to give a lecture and he was shouted down by the students which was supported by stanford i mean these 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 former originally christian-based 
universities, these former bastions of freedom are now becoming these like little, kind of what you're describing, little uh, outposts of what you're describing that happens normally in China, which is we need to protect you from this evil speech. Well, I mean, let the people have their say, and then we'll decide. And and I think that we're on, this is my hope, that we're on the verge of a return to civil discourse. You know, the old mythology about about the Democrat and the Republican could argue and argue, argue, and then go out for a drink together after work. You know, well, those days are over. And now we're in these enclaves, and the enclaves are being worked by this fear, by this fear of freedom, by this... Um, and, and I don't know if it's really true that man would rather be enslaved because it's comfy, comfy, cozy. I, I don't know how that works ultimately, but I, I see that there's an uprising of truth-telling. There's an uprising of, we need to, you know, let, let everyone have their say. Uh, that's really a hope behind the headlights, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I think that this is one of the things that Christians need to be champions of. We need to be champions of freedom of speech. Why? Because we are told that the word of God is a two-edged sword. That means it cuts both ways. It cuts towards the enemy, and we like to wield it that way, but sometimes it cuts us as well. And that means that we need to be open to correction. Um, this has been a very difficult year for me. One of the things that I had to do is submit to correction, the correction of God's word. God's word um, is, is, is truth, and sometimes we want to change it, uh, manipulate it, or silence it. And I think that that is a very dangerous thing, and we have to be open um, to um, sharing and listening um, this is one of the reasons I love specifically listening to um, a lot of teachings from Jewish rabbis. I learned tons about my own faith by um, listening to the Jewish rabbis, you know, that, that will teach from a Judaic perspective, sometimes anti-Christian. There are certain Jews that I'll listen to that if you get them on Jesus, um, they, you know, they go, yeah, they go pretty heavy. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm totally, I'm totally okay with that. I'm also okay sitting beside an atheist or a Muslim talking about the, you know, the, the character of uh, Muhammad or the, the, the attributes of atheism. Um, what I find interesting, uh, and I wrote this in a book, there was a book that came out a few years ago called Leaving Buddha. Um, it is the only book that's been done by a, um, a, a, Buddhist Lama that studied under the Dalai Lama. He's the only one who's left the Tibetan Buddhist faith and shared about his Christian conversion. Now, they have a spiritual debate that is that they I, I've been in the monasteries in the mountains of Tibet and the Himalayas several times when they've gone through these spiritual debates. And when I say spiritual debates, I'm not talking about just you and I trying to have a, a an academic discussion. I'm saying that they believe that they have the sp- spirit of Buddha that comes down and they have certain actions that they go through when they're making their arguments to one another. And every subject is on the table except one. There's one subject that is not allowed to be discussed. And that's Christ. And it's because he is considered to be the demon of confusion. You cannot discuss him because he will bring about confusion. And I agree. He will bring about confusion because um, the demons that are having their own discussion um, have to flee when truth is brought. And I'm saying truth with a capital T.
Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, when the light goes on, the roaches scatter. You know, yes. There's something about that uh, when 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 Yeshua, when Jesus, when Messiah is lifted up, it does uh, cause demons to tremble. It causes everything to go kind of awire. And so I totally understand that. Uh, again, we, we have this uh, romanticized version of some of these uh, religions in America. We're very, very ignorant of what's really going on behind them. So I love the books you write that, that really expose the contrast between the light of Yeshua, the light of Jesus, and... and uh, and it's amazing how much of us have been, um, I know that we might be going long on your podcast, um, stop me whenever, but one of the things that is interesting is that I've just talked to so many, especially Westerners, who have really been caught up with some of the mainstream media's ideas of the, the violent nature. I mean, even, I was just using chat GDP. I don't know if you've used it yet. Or uh, one of the things that's interesting is I, I asked it, you know, many different questions about, you know, how do I set up preaching in North Korea? How do I set up Bible printing in Iran? Just kind of to have fun with it. One of the things that I did is I asked, why is there no freedom in Muslim countries? And it said, well, because of colonialism from Christian countries. So I asked it, why is there no freedom in Christian countries? And it says, well, Christians have yet to go through a reformation. And it's just it's so biased. So I'm sitting there and I'm talking. I had a debate with a guy that was, that was Buddhist. I told you about him earlier. He was just really going off. And one of the things that he said was that, you know, Christians are being killed in certain countries like India. And he specifically pointed to India. Christians are being killed because they are so judgmental. And because they bring their judgmentalism, they create enemies. And I was like, really? Because they knew nothing about Christianity when Thomas got there. And Thomas was killed pretty quickly um, in India. That was right away. Um, and he began to bring up a lot of the other problems in the Middle East, saying, well, you know, a lot of the problems in the Middle East is because of the U.S. and the problems that they're bringing and a lot of the Western world um, creating issues in the Middle East. And I was like, you know, one of the things that people that make those claims don't know is history. You know, America was not even, one of the, my background is I was a U.S. Marine. And um, as a U.S. Marine, one of the songs that we always had to sing was from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we will fight our country's battles on land and air and sea. And that, you know, I, you had to learn about the Battle of Tripoli. So the Battle of Tripoli, a lot of Americans don't know this. Americans were taken as slaves into Africa. Europeans were taken as slaves into Africa for years, uh, centuries. Um, in fact, it was Sweden, where I'm at right now, it was Sweden's last war was in Tripoli. It was America's first foreign war was in Tripoli. Um, we didn't know anything about uh, the, the Muslim nations in America. We were barely a country. We had just been set up in, in 1776, uh, 1775, and then the Marine Corps came to be, uh, be in 1776. And then in 1801 is when we had the Battle of Tripoli. And that was the first time the United States Marines had been used in a foreign battle. And the reason we were using that foreign battle is because Muslims were taking Americans that were on trade ships and bringing them in and forcing them into slavery. Nobody knows that history. That was before there was even an Israel as a proper country that we have today. That was before Middle Eastern intervention and the things that they want to say. That was just plain old Islam wanting to be aggressive towards groups and countries and, and, and nations that they believe to be infidels. And we were an infidel country. And so they came and took us over. So I think a lot of people have this idea that 
Muslim countries, Buddhist countries, Hindu countries are peaceful, loving, giving, caring, compassionate. And it's only the big old mean Christian nations or the Jewish nation of Israel that compels these guys to react in violence. And if we would just go away and die, they would be a lot more peaceful. It's a joke. I love it. And <laughs> it's phenomenal. I, I know that we, I run into people all the time. That, and I've, sadly, it's in our legislature now in America that believe history began when they were born. You know, <laughs> it's when it all started, you know. And and it's sad because we, we this is very, very important what you're saying. And I remember seeing a congressman being sworn in on the Quran and thinking that, oh, and they referred to Thomas Jefferson having a Quran. Well, he had a Quran because he was trying to understand what was happening to soldier to to sea seafaring people both from Europe and America that as you say were being taken by Islam into slavery and we we you never hear about this you never hear about the, the facts on the ground which is that uh, and this is important because it ties back to your inside knowledge of China that wherever the gospel is there follows prosperity freedom economic. Uh, growth and, and just a, a better life. Can you talk again about the dynasty that is unspoken in communist world regarding the, the highlight of, of uh, I think it was Zhang Shi, is that his name? That yeah, Zhang it's Xi. one of my favorite stories to tell. I love the story. It's a, it is a former emperor in the 17th century, I believe it's around the 17th century, called Kang Shi. You kind of got me off uh, my my footing here because I, I haven't been doing a lot of research lately. It was all in my head about two months ago when I was writing about Kang Shi. But the emperor Kang Shi um, was the most well-known emperor. He's the most beloved emperor in all of China, but they cannot teach that he became a Christian believer. He wrote poems specifically about giving his heart to Christ. Um, and out of that, we see China grow in mathematics, grow in astronomy, grow in expl exploration, grow in their economy, grow in trade and in every way. And this is where we get the word China from. Um, during that time, the two of you know largest empires at that time were the Persian Empire and the um, and 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 Chinese Empire. And so the Persians, when they were doing trade together with China, referred to them as Xin, because you have the Kangxi Dynasty who comes from the the Qing Dynasty. And so we get this word Qing translated into Farsi Xin, and then European or Latin Xina which is where we get the word China. So we actually call it China today because of Emperor Kangxi. And Kangxi became a believer. Um, and not only did he become a believer, but he, he opened up his country to missionaries who came in, preached the gospel, and was able to benefit a lot of areas and bring about that kind of prosperity that naturally follows with the gospel. And that's not a name it, claim it gospel. I think that that's just the natural overflow that takes place when Christians come in with their with the, the teachings of God that brings life and liberty. Um, one of the things that I love, I don't know if your listeners are, are aware of this. I think I might have shared with you about it before. But in 2018, Yale University, and people can look this up. It's really, really good. I would highly encourage people to do it. Um, episode 360 on a, a podcast that I absolutely love called Freakonomics. So Freakonomics podcast, episode 360. It's easy to remember because it's 360. 
So Freakonomics episode 360 has a study that was done by Yale University. The study was led by a guy who's not a believer, he's atheist. But there is this hypothesis from the early 20th century that was called the Protestant work ethic. And it was, it was one of the theories of why Protestant countries did so well. Education, research, medicine, like in all these different categories, they just did so well. So why is it that they did so well? Well, there was this hypothesis that was called the Protestant work ethic. And it was thought that within the Christian, Lutheran, Protestant teaching, there is this ethics that's taught about working hard and studying and those kind of things. So they wanted to put it into practice. So what they did is they went to the Philippines and they broke up this island with about four different groups with 6,000 people in each group. So you had one group that received the gospel, one group that got the gospel and what's called life skills. Uh, life skills of like teaching how to write a resume, wash your hands so you don't get diseases, um, and how to do little things like cooking using gas from from excrement, those kind of things. And then you had just life skills, and then you had a control or a study group that had no impact whatsoever. So you had these four groups. And what happened was for one year, for 52 weeks, they studied each group, and they had one hour per week for 52 weeks that they would either get life skills, the gospel, or 30 minutes, one week of the gospel and 30 minutes of life skills in the same week. That's basically, if you're thinking about one hour per week, that's the same as you and I going to church for one hour per week on Sunday. What they found blew even me away. At the end of their 52 weeks, this is Yale. You, you can go, you can actually read that study. I did. I read the actual study. I used it in one of my books called China and End Time Prophecy uh, because it really does contribute to that factor that you're just talking about right now, how the gospel brings in all these different overflows that we don't even expect. Um, when you look at which group benefited the most, and they had these different data points that they measured, you know, uh, family income. Um, they even had like a hope index of like hope for the next generation and those kind of things. Happiness index. Um, the economy of different families, the education of different families. They asked, you know, which of those four groups do you think benefited the most? Which one grew the most? My guessing when I heard that was probably the one that got the gospel and the life skills. I was wrong. It was the group that just got the gospel. The gospel and the gospel alone, out of those four groups, the gospel being taught brought that group and all the different data points up higher than 17%, not from where they were, higher than 17% to the next group below it. So the gospel and the gospel alone transforms societies and has the power to transform nations. And I mean, that is just, I think, scientific data that can show that it's not just, you know, uh, correlation. It is causation, in my opinion. Yeah, and in God's opinion, Matthew 6, 33, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto Amen. you. And, we'll, you know, absolutely the case. You'll love this. Uh, we'll probably close in a few minutes, but you'll love this. The Hebrew words for love and for work are related in their roots. You know, <laughs> Freud, who got most things wrong, said that mental health was Lieben und Arbeiten, to love and to work, which, of course, the Nazis tried to uh, deform and to, to transform, right? 
uh, as a way of oppressing. But the, the reality is love and work kind of signs of mental health. To be able to love, which, you know, so avodah is work and ahava is, is love. And they're intimately connected, even in the root word, even in the language itself, that love and work are connected. And, you know, I was thinking as you were speaking that, that uh, to work is to start with the love of God and have work that is meaningful and purposeful. Because once you seek the kingdom of God, he will give you that purpose and that, that ability, that heart to do something meaningful with your life because that comes from God. And then to love uh, takes work. As you know, if you're a married person, uh, marriage is work. Love is work, right? So they're intimately connected. And so when you talk about that, that there's, if we will seek God first, all these things will be added. Then we see that, that uh, everything is going to get better as the gospel go, goes forward. And I think we should probably close with that because you know, wow. you and I can probably do this anyhow. Uh, I want to go back to China with you someday. We love being with you there. We love traveling. We Amen. Love being in yeah, we'd love that. And uh, I just want to tell our, our listeners again that uh, this is a seminal work. This is important. Back to Jerusalem is one of the most, I believe, one of the most important gospel-centered works going on right now in our day. And I want you to you'll see in the show notes how to support the work and how to get Eugene's books. The last time we did a podcast, the next day I heard from someone from one of our congregations somewhere. He said, uh, um, I have to get that book right away, the last one that you wrote about, about Marston. You know, and I said, okay, I sit in there. You know, I think that, that uh, just appreciate you, brother. I love spending time with you. Uh, we just bless you. And uh, you're a living testimony to me of the Hope Beyond Headlines. I have one more thought that I want to ask. This is, as someone who served uh, for a long time, I think 20 plus years, 20 years as a Marine? No, four, four years. I did four years as a Marine. Okay. So you're a, you're a Marine sniper. You were on the front line um, just as a patriot. And I, I believe it's possibly an American patriot and love other nations. You know, So I am a patriot. I love our country. I'm great for our country. And I love Israel. But at what you're seeing now with the military, what you're seeing, your sons are serving as well. Thank them for me as well. Uh, uh, do you think we're getting to a peak of incompetence that will that will where truth will out and there will be a rising of a strength back in the U.S. military? Are you hopeful about that? Um, my uh, on on this specific subject i just have to hand it over to god because in reality it looks hopeless um i think as the as the nation continues to go more and more secular leaving their roots in god the more a dog goes back to its vomit uh we are choosing very incompetent officers um if anything in the world needs to be based on a meritocracy it is the military, um, but there is there are the metoc- the metocracy is being taken away in some ways, and there you're getting individuals that are being put in charge of the U.S. military that are not competent. Um, they've never been able to show themselves as competent, but they check a box, uh, whether that is a political box, whether that is an ethnic box. Um, they, they, there are people that are being put in positions that just simply do not qualify. And that's very dangerous. Um, that's extremely dangerous. Um, I mean, if you look at the U S Olympics, for instance, you don't want to send people on a team, uh, 
that just represent a category if they can't compete. Otherwise, they'll never win. If you wouldn't do that for a game, why would you do that for the protection of lives? Um, so to put people in jobs and roles um, that they just simply do not qualify for, or worse, which is happening in the U.S. military, the lowering of standards and qualifications so that individuals that do not qualify can be dragged across the line and put in charge. Um, you have some very dangerous things. Um, I'm speaking out of turn here. This is not biblical per se in one way, but if we if we look at um, just the, some of the current leadership that is in charge, uh, you have one individual that is the first admiral to ever be appointed that's not even, that never even served in the military, that lived as a man his entire life and now is a woman and is making a lot of um, decisions for children that are extremely dangerous and is just completely unqualified for that position. That's taking place throughout the U.S. military. Many individuals are very qualified, but you're having you're having some that are leaving prematurely. Individuals that are desperately needed um, that are just not happy with the situation. You have generations of families that have served in the U.S. military, proud patriots that are now telling their children, "Don't join." Um, and that is a that is a sad situation. In fact, um, all of the branches are seeing a decline in enlistment. So Air Force, Navy, Army, the only one that is not seeing a decline is the U.S. Marine Corps. And I believe that is because it provides something that a lot of young men want, which is a challenge without a lowering of standards. Now they've been attacked and they've been lowering standards, but there's still something that is there. Um, what the rest of the military has been doing is appealing to a, a portion of the population that's less than 1%. And as a result, they are uh, isolating the 99% and losing them. Um, and you're having people that are being promoted through the ranks that simply have not earned those promotions. And it's a, it's a sad state. So when you move away from a meritocracy, in my opinion, you weaken a war fighting unit, and then they will just not be prepared when they do fight a unit that is, um, you know, this is one of the reasons why we got away from the royal families. <laughs> you, people, people are not born into officership. I don't care who your dad was. Can you lead a military unit or not? If you can't, step aside. <laughs> um, and this is one of the things that was beneficial about the U.S. military is that it was based on a meritocracy, which I feel is being ripped away at its core. Reminds me of the world right before World War II when Neville Chamberlain did his blunders in England and trying to appease Hitler. Uh, there was a, a man, I forget his name right now, it might have been Atlee, I can't remember his name, but he stood up in the in the parliament and said to somebody that was making these appeasing statements, for God's sake, step aside. What <laughs> <laughs> we need to do for all of our sakes. So what you're saying here, I believe, this is, this is where I want to end, is that uh, I'm part of an intercessors group, a men's group, actually, that meets on a former military base in Northern California, and we pray about these kinds of things. And, and I think what you're saying is pray... Christians, believers, pray like your life depended on it, because it does. Pray that uh, God has his way in all these subjects we've talked about today, and especially for, for Americans, please pray for our military to have a renaissance of meritocracy and for our government to be exposed where it needs to be exposed and for people to arise that actually speak the truth and will, will stand in the truth. So 
Eugene Bach, thank you, thank you, thank you. To thank you. Bach, thank you so much for being with us. It's always a joy. I look forward to when we can actually be in the same country at the same time again. We we'll love that. Spend some time with our wives together. That would be really a blessing. Uh, you are a living example of the hope behind the headlines. So God bless you, brother. God you bless you. Time. Thanks, brother. It was great seeing you. Love being with you. Love the encouragement every time. Blessings to your family. You All right. Bye. You too.